When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. Today I've got with me Eugene McGing. Hello, Eugene. Hi, Stuart. Thanks very much for uh, pronouncing my name correctly. You got it right first time. Much appreciated. Did I really? I was about to ask then. Did I get yeah. it right? <laughs> <laughs> I, could have, I could have got rid of all that embarrassment in the, in the prelim, but I thought, I looked at it and I thought, oh, hello, I've got to go in, haven't I? Um, no, well, I, yep, I, uh, much appreciated. It's, a, it's an odd one, even, even where it hails from, I think. <laughs> uh, what film have we come to talk about? Uh, we've come to discuss the unfolding, which... Um, has just gone, um, become available via um, Fight Fest Presents. Okay, and do you want to give us a brief synopsis of what the unfolding is? Um, basically, it's um, the story of um, a young researcher in uh, parapsychology and his girlfriend. Uh, they're on a trip to Dartmoor. Um, uh, ostensibly, it's supposed to be a little bit of a, a, a date, but... Um, uh, the girlfriend discovers quite quickly that the whole thing's really uh, much more about um, what town the protagonist wants to do in this in this house, mm. explore and find out. Um, yeah, what's been going on there? They've they've heard through the uh, Society for Psychical Events that all sorts of spooky gangs on have been happening, and they're there to investigate. Now, now this is, now, before we go into this about the process, it's always worth pointing out this isn't just. The, like an ordinary kind of haunted house um, story, because you you interweave a very surprising narrative of what's happening in, in the in the outside world, as it were. So on the one hand, it's a very claustrophobic film mm. about people experiencing and witnessing and so, uh, supernatural phenomena, but then yeah. you've got this other story going on about the nuclear um, apocalypse that's around the corner. Or yeah, basically, a sta- yeah, status of a uh, um, uh, experiential crisis, I suppose, um, based in many ways on you know. Uh, I mean, when I wrote it, we were positing ideas, uh, and strangely, as we got closer to finishing the post, um, quite a lot of the ideas were kind of coming closer to reality, um, mm. which was kind of strange. Uh, the, the whole kind of new Cold War idea was something that I think quite a few experts in the field have been saying is being kind of probably artificially created by sort of uh, you know, interested parties who make money out of all this stuff on all sides. Um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, I guess the co- it's sort of it's it's sort of by proxy of Syria, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I suppose you're seeing this kind of stuff happening in quite a few places. Really, it's um, in different hot zones and. Um, yeah, things can go very quickly, very fast. Um, we, you know, in the research, we discovered that I think, you know, probably you know, six recorded instances of, you know, basically 
being a few seconds from you know, somebody pressing the button um, and a few you know, quick thinkers or sensible individuals um, you know, decided not to not to follow orders again on both sides and um, you know, probably saved us all from, well, you and me probably wouldn't have even been born, I guess. <laughs> have you seen that, that documentary Countdown to Zero about the camera? I have. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's, got the scariest, that's one of the scariest stories I've ever heard, the one about um, testing rockets on over Finland and the protocol was to start an all-out assault if you thought you were being attacked. And I think Russia decided to give America a call and go, are you attacking us? And they went, no. And they went, okay, just check it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Operation uh, Overlarcher as well. Um, that was when um, you know the, the NATO um, exercise was so complete and so kind of multi-layered that it you know, did look for all intents and purposes like a you know, precursor to an all-out attack. And um, that was a very close call, apparently. Um, I think, uh, yeah, there's been yeah, quite a few instances, very worryingly so. So let's get into this then. So first off, Super. a very cool name for the film. Um, thank you. It's, uh, it's, thank it's, you for saying that. <laughs> it's I only say that because, you know, it's rare to find that, that unique word that you can you, mm. you can apply to your movie because obviously everything's you know there's a million films called the door and things like that yeah. so uh, um to come up with something that's sort of snappy and, and also unique is is pretty cool i'm guessing you didn't start there no you didn't no that's um, a relief no, that came in came in much later so let's talk about this idea then where was it how was it as, as you as a writer first before we talk about the director of this how how yeah. where, where was it, where did this idea come from from you how did you conceive it uh, I, th I think um, I think it came really from bad dreams. Um, you know, one take on this whole um, story, um, mm. uh, filmically, is um, you know it could be interpreted as a very bad dream. Yeah. But you know, obviously, for some people, you know, uh, I suppose particularly the people who've actually had nuclear weapons dropped on on them, because there were some, uh, quite a few, obviously. Um, you know, these things do happen, um, albeit not. The entire planet, but you know these things have happened. The things mm. that happen within the story. Um, so um, yeah, when I was younger, I used to have a recurring bad dream and been caught in something very similar. Um, I won't give you know the story away, but, but um, uh, the things that could happen in the unfolding, uh, I suppose I dreamt of quite a lot as a very young man, mm. and I, I suppose the story probably started there. Um, and being a fan of the genre, being a particular fan of uh, Robert Weiss and the haunting, which you know I'm never tired of mentioning, you know, because yeah. it's a masterpiece, really. Um, um, yeah, I think the th two things kind of you know uh, came together in the unfolding. Um, yeah, a lover of the, a love of the genre, and also yeah, a very personal purview. So when so when you get down to sort of unpacking your idea, because obviously there's one ideas are ten a penny, aren't they? As we know. And, and mm. obviously making, developing a screenplay is a lot more work than most people care to imagine. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's brain, I'm not saying you say, we're saving lives when we're doing this kind of thing, but, <laughs> but certainly certainly the, the phrase at dinner parties of, I've got an idea for a film, and you got very good, <laughs> springs yeah. to mind compared to the job. So when you, when you take, when you take, when you were, develop, when you were looking back on this inspiration that you had, well, you know, your love of, your love of the haunting, the, the nightmares you start, you've sort of, held on to how mm. did that transfer from from that kind of concept into what became the film how, how do you how do you I'm, so i guess i'm asking you how do you how do you take you know generate what becomes a screenplay from that from that from that foundation 
Yeah, uh, very interesting question. Um, I think for me it began um, with uh, interviewing um, parapsychologists um, on a one-to-one basis um, as well as um, transmediums with people who you know are brought in to you know talk to um, kind of trapped spirits and uh, a lot of the a lot of the um, dialogue um, is you know very accurate and as are the um, contact um, we didn't really want to shoot the stuff theatrically I wanted it to seem very um, almost as if it was shot on an iPhone so the you know the contact sessions a lot of the kind of um, processes used particularly by Kitty McGeever um, they're all based for almost exactly on you know uh, real transmediums approaches mm. so I'm pretty sure that when you know people like that um, see the film they'll probably recognize that um, I think it's um, you know it's fairly subtle I suppose but um, I think it's quite accurate so um, it began there and um, you know we've all seen um, the haunted house parapsychologist going in and looking around but I thought if we began with the even though Kitty comes in very late if if, if I started researching that it probably you know lend a great deal of um, you know well a, a, a huge amount of ideas to you know what, what actually do, does occur in these kind of situations so again a lot of the, a lot of the things we see have been described um, and uh, reported um, even by you know um, people who are brought in to make kind of scientific evaluations you know they've seen and witnessed these things um, um, you know even you know, even the idea of uh, Professor Chessman being an astronomer you know if, again that's based on you know facts um, a lot of people uh, especially in the you know 70s and 80s who were uh, seriously interested in this stuff were yeah. you know Oxford, Oxford graduates and um, they were in you know hard science um, natural sciences and um, I mean there seems to have been a more of a dichotomy in you know the sort of late 20th and um, sorry um, you know, beginning of the 21st century between you know natural science and this stuff but you know before before we got into 2000 I think there were a lot of people you'd describe as you know um, hard scientists were convinced there was you know a lot to explore here which you know, again we, we see looked at in the, in the unfolding. Well, I guess I guess you know it's not unusual to know to, to hear a hard scientist talking who also believes in God. So I suppose the idea of very a good hard, point. I suppose a hard scientist who can somehow see this potential of if not there is definitely supernatural things that are around us. Isn't that yeah, unusual? Well, absolutely. Yeah, well, and that's very true. I mean, people like Roger Penrose, you know, have freely talked about. Um, the fact that you know even friends of theirs who've lost relatives they've you know they've helped them with their bereavement by describing them you know being still alive and you know they're still there in space time mm. you know Penrose has gone on to describe these um, you know energy pockets that they know exist um, you know they, 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 uh, you know within the actual you know uh, structure of the brain that seem to empty you know when you know when people pass away mm. um, you know non dissipation of energy idea and the fact that you know they think that you know that there is a chance that um, you know human personality or you know any any sort of uh, um, any creature's personality you know could go on um, um, even you know within space time or you know does it go on to another dimension or you know can it be both I mean quite often it's probably you know there's more than one explanation for this stuff and there'll be all these things happening at the same time you know the structure we use to try and break the stuff down is inadequate to you know deal with you know the mystery that we're looking at that's that's also a very good answer for religion, isn't it? As well, it's uh, my my favourite is the um, is the notion that that a building or certainly physical objects kind of 
record the presence of past people and kind of the ghosts are those kind of molecules or the essence of those things reverberating and that's what we're seeing when we see we're seeing like a, a kind of hologram replay of a real ghost of a real person if you see what I mean yeah that's a really cool explanation yeah um, I mean I'm trying to remember the name of the guy he was a Nobel uh, Prize winner physicist yeah. um, and he, he did talk about this particularly but he said again the only explanation for these playbacks would be the inanimate objects actually being aware mm. um, which is you know even crazier but you know this guy's you know gone very deep into quantum science and he was saying that one of the, the explanations even stranger than you can possibly imagine he was talking about, you know, inanimate matter having an awareness, um, <laughs> stuff that we're surrounded by, you know, this, this, uh, the stuff that's born in the centre of stars and, um, you know, the, you know, on a quantum level, the energy, the energies, um, the, 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 there is some kind of an awareness, um, some kind of, um, you know, uh, a kind of form of, you know, intelligence. It's, it's, it's amazing stuff. I mean, I think, I think from, from my own point of view, I can definitely be, I can definitely be an atheist of the strongest kind. And um, and I've and I've, in, I've done stuff. I've interviewed people. I've gone down the road of interviewing why people believe in God for research in the past. And mm. one of the things that somebody said to me, which always struck me as amazing, is the only difference between you and me is that you're here and I'm there, and all you've got to do is make the leap over to where I am. And I'm thinking, mm. well, that's not proof. That's just deciding to believe something. Um, Whereas, and, and it doesn't scare me. Whereas. No matter how much I might say to myself that I don't believe in the supernatural or ghosts, if you put me yeah. in a house with the lights off or uh, there's no lights and it's late at night, I'm, my imagination is going to run wild anyway. Well, we should have put you in a house we filmed in then, because um, you know we, we did have uh, we did have some supernatural activity, uh, and I mentioned this to the. Um oh, uh, one of the uh, the evil twins when they're interviewing us on the red carpet at Fright Fest, but. Yeah. Everybody says they had, you know, supernatural events happening on set, but we actually did. Um, I think we had three recorded um, incidents. Um, one I experienced personally uh, on my own in the house when I was shooting the infrared photography. Um, that's pretty freaky um, because at the time I didn't know the house was haunted um, and, and had been, um, you know, recorded as haunted and there had been a suicide behind the house and uh, all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. Really? Um, yeah, someone yeah, someone had died, uh, killed themselves. You know, um, well, nearly probably just about 100 feet away from where I was actually shooting. But um, I was filming infrared, just doing a bit of second unit work um, after nightfall, because um, yeah. obviously for insurance purposes we had to give the crew a break uh, <laughs> halfway through shooting. And um, there was someone upstairs in the bedroom uh, that um, two of the characters spent quite a lot of the time in the filming. Um, Footsteps very clearly moving up and down. I don't spook easily, but um, yeah, I, I very nearly bolted and just left the equipment behind. Um, uh, then we had an electrical discharge going off behind a digital image technician's head. Um, I've known him for like 20 years. You know, he worked in advertising uh, uh, with me. Um, very sensible guy. You know, again, doesn't really have much of an imagination in terms of you know, uh, getting spooked easily, but um, he, he refused to stay in that room on his own anymore because he said it was just so weird. Um, you know, it was like literally an electrical discharge happened just behind his head as he was um, logging some of the shots. He just refused to go in on his own anymore. And then the same thing happened to uh, Patrick, who was our um, caterer. Um, he was with somebody, but you know, they both saw it. Um, some kind of electrical discharge is happening in midair while they're preparing lunch, I think. It was uh, broad daylight, that one, so, yeah. Pretty strange. Did, what did, I've been fascinated to know, like, just to thinking of that um, 
the example of sort of what I was when I was talking to religious people and they were telling me how I would how I could believe. How how did how did the research inform your understanding, as it were, and your kind of belief in whether this is this could be real or not? Because obviously you're still you're still presumably this is all a work of fiction based on what you've learned. So yeah, it's not you're not you're not telling us what happened in this house. You're telling us a, a, you're using a location. But but I'm fascinated to know, like when you were talking to these experts, as it were, what what did you yeah. what, what did you come away with that you didn't know before, as it were? That, 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 yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I have to admit, I, I, uh, after speaking to, uh, I put it like this, nobody, nobody I spoke to came across as um, either self-serving or, you know, um, you know, none of them were selling books or making yeah. any money out of this stuff at all. Yeah. They were going, you know, to houses where there were serious problems and trying to help people. Um, there, there was, a, there were a couple very similar to uh, Professor Chessman and. Um, you know Robert Dawes' character and uh, uh, Muriel uh, Kitty mm. McGeever's character, who, who who do do this stuff, and no one knows who they are. You know they're called in to help in you know very kind of uh, serious cases, and um, yeah, um, they came across as completely you know uh, sane in every way and completely convincing. Um, and I think yeah, the, the scientists I spoke to again. Um, I mean I, I think I think the guys um, yeah when when I'd spoken to the quantum. Uh, scientists, um, well, I have to admit, I did feel more prone to thinking, you know, there's, a, there's so much more of this, um, you know, there's so much more to this than we can really understand. I mean, you know, we only have a relative understanding of quantum science, really. I mean, a lot of these guys are always kind of on the edge of um, kind of tipping into slight, um, um, you know, slightly unbalanced states of mind because, you know, what they're looking into is so mind-boggling and, um, you know, probably gets stranger every day. Um, I have to admit, after speaking to them, I did swing more to becoming a believer in not so much, you know, specific um, beliefs, um, but, you know, having a full understanding of the fact that we're the structure we're apprehending this stuff with, um, be it, you know, I'm an atheist or, you know, I believe in God uh, or anything in between. It's just not, you know, it's not adequate to, um, you know, I think Carl Sagan talked about us being, you know, uh, like, you know, natives in a valley that just aren't aware of the, you know, the signals that are going, you know, television and radio signals are flying above our head. They're clearly there, but, you know, they, they don't have the technology or the, um, you know, evolution um, uh to uh, you know, understand the stuffs going on around them, and I think you know, we might be in a very similar situation. You know, the universe might be, you know, something like that. Um, we're just not quite getting it yet. No, no, no. I mean, I, I remember watching about six months ago or so. There was a documentary on BBC Four about quantum physics, and and I could honestly say that it was like a psychedelic experience, sort of really <laughs> trying to trying to begin to comprehend what they were saying, because obviously. They were given as the results of all these wonderfully extensive and, and complicated mathematical equations and hypotheses mm. that, that they've all played with and, and, and got around trying to prove. But it isn't what they're talking about isn't something I can physically touch. They're telling me mm. that what's around me is vibrating for starters. That all, that freaks me out to start with. You know, the, the yeah. laptop I'm talking to you through. You know, the desk I'm leaning against is just a load of things vibrating to make themselves appear solid. I mean, that's Absolutely. and I'm at a very base level. Then I don't. I'm not professing to think that watching that documentary made me anyway an expert. In fact, it made me wish I'd never seen it because it's kind of <laughs> kind of hurt my head a bit. You know. Yeah. yeah you kind of you, you kind of think something that's given to you 
in a kind of lay terms, you think you can at least appreciate, but no, I, I, I don't, and, and I admire, and I can see why, with that kind of theorising, you could begin to go into the realms of the supernatural and go, well, if this is, if this, if we can, if we can see this in a mathematical sense, then mm. all these other things could also be defined if we can just work it out. Which I guess is yeah. the, the science, the scientists' ever never-ending problem, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's um, yeah, it's a huge mystery, um, and uh, yeah, ripe, ripe for plundering by people like us. I guess really for <laughs> story ideas. <laughs> if you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. So when you so when you're at the scripting stage, then what what would you say was the hardest challenge for you to resolve in terms of storytelling for, for this film? Um, um, I think uh, trying yeah trying to find something that's um, just as, you know coming in at a slightly different trajectory um, is. Uh, it's hard. Um, you, you want people to, you know, feel like when they've, um, you know, spent, you know, three pounds fifty or, you know, uh, uh, renting it on Amazon that they've you know, seen something, uh, a different take. And you know, a lot of critics, um, a lot of the people who've uh, critiqued the film seem to have um, appreciated the fact that there was something um, a little bit um, unique about it, which was this, you know, this backstory, this kind of um, unfolding, um, you know, world uh, existential. Uh, crisis. Um, I think, yeah, coming up with something like that, and um, I'd, I'd, I'd already sp sort of sp speaking to the uh, mediums and the, uh, uh, the the scientists involved in this stuff uh, before. You know, thought of the idea of um, you know, bringing in the um, yeah the world the world crisis. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's probably the hardest thing, having you know, just a slightly different take on it, and. Um, then finding a way to make it work because obviously there's it's, it's a bit of a you know two-edged sword really. Um, you, you don't want the, the backstory to become you know the story, um, in which it easily could do. So trying to make it uh, yeah believable but you know subtle um, because in you know in in you know during the Cuban Missile Crisis people didn't you know most people did just go about there you know my, my parents were right in the middle of it as was everybody else as were your parents no doubt um, mm. people people didn't go and hide in bunkers they, they basically went to work and you know they were very close to getting you know blown out of um, blown to kingdom come and they didn't realise at the time how close so you know, you know uh, in, in the story it was important to you know even though they're panicked they wouldn't be running around screaming, and um, they really would just, you know, be as surprised as everybody else when it happened. Um, so it was a it was a difficult one to try and make believable, and not um, I didn't want the film to be shot, you know, theatrically. Um, it was more important to make it, you know, um, kind of fly on the wall, um, yeah, as, as if it was shot on an iPhone, which I think I mentioned before. But uh, yeah, so I, I was, don't know was that, that was that was that always the plan from the start? Then that kind of sort of found footage view of the world you were always going to go for that was that was that a solution that came out of the, the generating the script um i think it's uh, no i think it was probably um as much um budgetary um limitations i mean I, I, we could have shot it theatrically and done something similar hmm. i think believe it or not but um we didn't you know because we were using cinders you know be and she's a bsc you know one of the uh, i think only two or three um 
lady, um, you know, BSCs at the moment. I've known Sinners a number of years, but she wasn't available for very long. You know, she's very busy. Um, you know, she's always very busy. You know, she's just working on Poldark again at the moment, I think. Okay. Um, doing, a, doing a beautiful job on that. And, um, you know, we didn't have her for very long, so we had to, you know, we had to really go like the clappers. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we had a, we had a wonderful old pro, uh, God bless him, called Gary White, you know, who worked on Star Wars, worked with the Pythons. He was my first AD and, um, he was kicking me, kicking me up the arse. Um, you know, really, uh, pretty much getting, less takes than I would have liked but you know, he was a guy who kept us on track um, he passed away unfortunately um, you know, before the film uh, premiered as well yeah it is and uh, you know, he's a wonderful guy real pro um, really liked the story we couldn't have done it without him really and um, yeah he's a, he's a top guy he's got, he's got a wonderful list of uh, credits to his name on IMDB so what was, what was the shoot time that he, he, was, he was making sure you stuck to how long did it take to shoot this movie uh, we actually shot it in uh, 14 days. Gee um, whiz, gee whiz. And, uh, but that was, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> probably breaking quite a few uh, union rules. You might have to delete that <laughs> later. But, um, yeah, we, we really did have to go quite bonkers. Um, that's why everyone looked so freaked out, because I think they were genuinely freaked out. Um, <laughs> I think Robert um, uh, mentioned that again during the uh, flight first interviews but yeah it was a pretty pretty intense shoot um uh dartmoor was um we got hit by a weather front uh as we uh, were pretty much setting up the cameras uh, we got some wonderful um you know wonderful mist and kind of gusting wind but it was um it, it limited the amount of time he had so uh yeah we, we were always up against it on this shoot actually it was uh, yeah, it was quite intense now, now, obviously, this this film is, is is grounded in in genre. It's definitely a horror film. So, mm-hmm. do, you, do you want to talk us through how you you were able you you felt you balanced the sort of scares with the story with the unfolding drama at the same time? You know, those kind of elements are. You know, it's one thing just to just to keep scaring people, but then yeah, there's there's other things that films that a film requires as well as anything else. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, basically, uh, it, it had to start with, you know, something that would, um, you know, hook you. And uh, we, you know, we pretty much start with the kind of, you know, the black swan event that, you know, could be kind of, you know, um, you know nuclear war in the next three hours. Um, I think it takes about half an hour once the missiles fly to, you know, pretty much end us all. So uh, beginning the film with the, you know, the, uh, someone on the radio, an expert mentioning, you know, black swan event could, could occur any minute now. Again, that's all based on real, you know, testimony and, um, you know, guys who are very, clued up on this stuff saying well mm. you know um just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it couldn't happen so um <laughs> I, was try- I, 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 was, I was trying to hook the audience with that and uh, have the you know that this uh, like i don't want to give too much away but of you know course. something happens on a moor um, but then it was important to go into something it would be a slow burner um you know, uh, probably along the lines of, um, well, very much along the lines, I suppose, of paranormal activity, um, and it, and um, you know, even haunting. Really, I mean, nothing particularly um, supernatural happens in that. Probably for the first, um, you know, the first, um, you, you hear you hear mentions of events, but you don't really get any events until about you know, 35 minutes in. So, you know, with these kind of uh, stories, I felt it was important to keep to that, um, make it slow burn. And, uh, um, you know, really, really start to, you know, plumb the depths of um, the kind of evil that's occurred in this building when, you know, um, Kitty, Kitty arrives, which is pretty much the beginning of Act um, 
Act Three, I guess, really. You know, she mm. comes into the film quite late, makes make, makes a big impact, as uh, only she could. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, I, I wanted it to slow burn, really, for the you know, first forty minutes with a couple of um, you know a couple of um, yeah scares for want of a better expression. You know. <laughs> now, now, when you when you were in that pre-production stage, when everything was sort of in, when when you kind of got the script more or less locked down. Um, and you're looking at what budget you've got, looking at what resources you've got. What 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 aspects of what you had on the page seemed sort of the most insurmountable? And then sort of what what were the what were you just, what decisions did you take while in the shoot that sort of made that easier? Any breaks you got? Any kind of happy accidents? Yeah, very good, very good question. Um, yeah, I mean the, the the thing I thought we can have the most trouble with was uh, what occurs at the end of the movie. Um, trying to think how I can actually talk about this without giving the game away. Um, mm. But um, no, we, we were very lucky. Um, we, we were able to um, recruit um, a couple of you know, kind of top top compositors, really, um, for 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 one of the main main events in the film. Again, I won't mention it, but mm. uh, John John Paul Doherty, who's you know the visual effects supervisor on you know, the Bond, you know, the last few Bond films, um, he's a top top chap, mm. wonderful guy, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Compositor, um, brilliant, you know, special effects person all round. He, he came in and helped us um, at the very last. Uh, I've been trying to get hold of him for about a year and a half, and uh, he, he came in at exactly the right point and helped us out with that. So that, that was a wonderful break. Mm. Uh, we had we had Marcus Millichope who you know, worked as uh, visual effects supervisor on Luther. He came in and um, did some uh, very cool bits and bobs for us, um, which you probably remember. They're quite. Um, memorable at the very end just as they're fleeing the house mm-hmm. a couple of other cool things happen um some of the compositing i did myself but you know i don't really want to talk about that that was um <laughs> and I'm, I'm painting i'm a painting graduate from uh, camel school of art so you know there's a little bit of um a little bit of training there but you know these guys were on another level so um you know, i left a very difficult stuff to them um <laughs> there's a there's a cool cool shot of some um bombers flying over the house which uh, again john paul Doherty helped us with Using some, you know, brand new software that just become available at the time. But you know, all of these things were done were done very subtly. Uh, they're not very showy. Um, you know, we, we didn't really want to go CGI full blown. Really, just um, made them look like they've been shot on a, you know, fairly average. Um, you know, um, I, I suppose when we're shooting it, the iPhones weren't really quite as uh, high tech as they are now. Um, yeah. But uh, not that we shot it on an iPhone. But you know, the idea was to make it look like it's something you just grabbed. You know, just literally grabbed off your phone you know, at an opportune moment. Um, the uh, the blood moon was again just a happy you know happy occurrence really because we you know we, we had the blood moon occurring during the final stages of post production. Wow! So I was able to actually capture that on on camera, and uh, then we used After Effects to you know track the entire sequence and um, you know dissolve two shots together to make it look like the, the moon had kind of you know, turned red in a matter of seconds and again that was just a, it was one of those happy moments really uh, <laughs> so it's kind of the, uh, the Stu Masowitz uh, school of um, you know being an opportunist filmmaker I guess <laughs> well I, I mean I, I, um, where I live in East London and uh, we have pop-up cinema at Walthamstow and we had uh, Robin Hardy come in to do a, do a, oh, Q, fantastic. Do a Q&A for the screening of, um, of The Wicker Man that we had last summer fantastic and and in that he talked about how the moment when the Wicker Man I'm not spoiling this for anyone because it's that old I'm presuming if you're listening to this you might have seen it but when when the Wicker Man falls over and you've got that sun in the background yeah that was all 
happy accident because they were shooting. Amazing, isn't it? They were shooting in November, yeah. so the idea of a sun, never mind one, right in line where the shot was, yeah, was the wonderful. furthest thing from their imagination. But obviously, a bit like what you described there, they were kind of like, "We've got this. Let's get that." <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I wasn't even sure it'd work, um, but and I thought we'd have to try it. Um, ended up getting a very bad cold because it, you know, it's happening at like two o'clock in the morning, I think. So I ended up sort of. Uh, Recording it on a you know a Nikon with a um, I think it was an eighty millimeter um, zoom on a um, so we had a kind of two point seven crop factor which kind of magnified it but yeah you know, it, it it was um, luckily they, they have very good um, sensitive um, they, uh, I think they're called Aptina sensors on those cameras um, so it's actually picking up stuff that probably wouldn't have come out on a lot of cameras and it's grainy but again with the um, with the underlying kind of uh, idea and uh, the, the genre, you can, you can get away with these sorts of things. And um, you know, to me, that's one of my favourite things in the film, really. And um, Leslie Rothwell, the very talented uh, composer, he, he he created a small riff. For, you know, this 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 thing that went in very late, and uh, we ran into the recording studio with a wonderful Ben Baird uh, from Aquarium Studios, who's you know won a couple of BAFTAs, who did all the. Uh, recording on this project and um, managed to get it in so that that was the last thing in i think um, and uh, it was it was worth all the effort but again if you if you um yeah you've got to keep your eyes peeled for this sort of stuff um, i suppose and um, yeah they are happy accidents people always got to you know, bust a nut i suppose to try and you know, get them as well but you've always, but you've always got to be on the lookout for them to spot them so you know the fact that you, you're even open to it is the starting point in terms of getting that yeah. accident, isn't it yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely suited the subject matter. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about it for you know weeks before it happened. Mm. I was convinced. I was convinced that um, when the uh, you know when the blood moon occurred, that we would be uh, you know have overcast skies in London. But um, no, we were lucky. We were lucky that night. Um, you know, we, we we had a perfect view of it. Really, it's incredible. Now, Stalinsky, you've already, you've already mentioned the point about making it look like it was uh, shot on on an iPhone, and so that you know for those listening, it's it's in you know very traditional kind of. It has a traditional found footage feel, although lighting-wise and colour-wise, it's far mm. from traditional. I think you you you've sucked a lot of the colour out of it, haven't you? In terms of what we actually watch, it's um, it's a very it's a very cold it's, it's a very cold visual experience in some senses. Um, yeah, and I mean that in a positive way. I don't mean that in, in, as a negative. Um, Thank you. But then, but then also you mix it with you marry that with um, surveillance cameras, so CCTV mm. as well, don't you? So where, yeah. where where did you where did that come from the idea of being able to sort of mix the two media really? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, the, the first um, yeah the first things that we monochromed because uh, they weren't actually monochrome. Uh, the infrared shots were obviously, but the um, the mm. daylight seems to be stuff as all you know, shot in color on um, white cams. But um, we monochrome those first. Um, and uh, then it appeared to uh, it definitely worked better. Um, mm. Definitely, definitely gave them the quality that the, the colour was uh, lacking because again uh, we were using uh, um, you know it you know, took uh, over three years to get the film completed and uh, those cameras they weren't HD so um, yeah monochrome them definitely made them look a lot better but uh, <laughs> I, I, I felt that um, yeah it just again it reminded me more of the kind of you know I guess again it's a nod to the haunting the kind of black and white vibe um, i love black and white i mean i'm not comparing the cinematography uh, in this film to you know the haunting um i mean the cinemas did an amazing job but you know we didn't have the, the time or the money to do anything remotely as uh, amazing as the haunting but um you know it, yeah monochrome in a film uh, 
definitely um, and bringing it as close to black and white without actually making it black and white definitely seemed to work um, mm. it, it, gave, it gave the um, yeah it did give a coldness to the film and you know we, we pop into colour at the very end mm. for reasons that will become clear to to anyone who watches it but um, yeah it was it was uh, uh, I won't say necessity it was, yeah it was more of an, an aesthetic thing that kind of evolved from you know the, the CCTV through to the um, yes, through to the live action or the um, yeah, uh, camera one as we called it. Now, I mean, you, you, you told me before there that you, you, you're a you're a you're a painter, did you say? You come from a painting background. Uh, but, yeah, I studied uh, fine art at Camberwell. Yeah, many many moons ago. Yeah. So so um, so where? And interestingly, studied Robin Hardy. Didn't study at Camberwell, but Robin Hardy was also a painter, uh, which was yeah. a fascinating thing to learn. Um, <laughs> What do you? What, what is it? Because obviously frames are just. I mean, good frame. A good framing is is a good is a good image, isn't it? So which you know, obviously painters with their eye for you know eye for um, what to do with the with the blank space. Yeah, yeah. Make, should you know can make for good directors, I guess. So what what do you think you brought you brought to your film that that, that you can that you can you can see a lineage from your your schooling in painting, I suppose. Um. um yeah, so that's a really good question. Um. Uh, not quite sure how to answer that one. Actually, that's quite a complex one. Um, <laughs> it's. <laughs> uh, I think it's probably just. Um, yeah, I, I, I may, maybe even the idea to yeah, to desaturate. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the grading suite doing all sorts of. Um, uh, originally, it was much more saturated. Um, yeah. Uh, much warmer, and um, yeah, it did it did evolve, and we, we did get to a stage uh, where we pushed it as far as we thought we possibly could um, mm. with both diffusion and desaturation. Um, so far, in fact, that I thought maybe you know we, we were going too far, but you know the, the two you know colorists that were working on a picture, um, no, they both they both kind of concurred that you know taking it to the edge was definitely the way to go. Um, so yeah, probably wouldn't have done that maybe if I hadn't. Um, yeah, had some training in, in, in colour science, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 like I was saying earlier, I think that that gives the film it's it, it, it sort of it gives it an edge, you know, that, that when you're watching you. it is is um, is really unsettling. Which you know, that's I think that's always the best compliment for a horror film is that that it's unsettling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks, Stuart. Yeah, thank you. It's great to hear. Because too, you know, because too many, too many horror films just tend to be like you know sort of synchronized you know drum solos where you just get a bang every now and again and you kind of think well that's you know i want something a bit more than that i'm an intelligent human being so no hats off to you there it's okay do, do you want to remind people then how because it's available now to watch through the fright fest presents so how, how, can, how can people see it where, where what where can you get fright fest presents fire do you know yeah, very, uh, yeah uh, basically um Fright Fest Presents and uh, Icon uh, Film Distribution UK have done an amazing job with this, actually. They've um, pretty much covered the entire gamut. Um, you can get it on Sky Store, uh, Google Play, um, Virgin Movies, um, Amazon, uh, Blinkbox, uh, Wawaki. Uh, if you're in Ireland, you can see it on Volta, um, which uh, is great. Uh, I think Horror, um, Horror Box... Um, I've got it. Uh, who have I left out? Did I mention iTunes? Okay. Um, I mean, it looks, it looks like it's pretty much available everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I was going to um, say, yeah. You, yeah you, I mean, I think they've it's, done an amazing job. Yeah, no, it's, that's fantastic. It's great for, you to, great for you to for you to get your work out there, isn't it, I guess? Uh, it's the one thing we all want as filmmakers, people to see it. 
Yeah, it's very exciting. Like I said, they, they've done a great job. I mean, it's, it's, it's thanks very much to um, really the Fright Fest, uh, the boys over at Fright Fest. Really, they've been very, very supportive of the project since they you know, saw the first Blu-ray uh, mm. back um, back just around about the can, uh, time of Cannes last year when you know uh, I first in, in touch with them. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting, and uh, I'm really, really happy to see it being a. Rolled out, especially for you know, um, you know everyone involved and you know, the cast, um, specifically Kitty, you know who you know who we you know who, who uh, we lost just before the premiere, um, uh, Kitty uh, McKeever from Emmerdale. Um, uh, yeah, she very sadly passed away. So I'm I'm just really pleased for you know her that and and her you know relatives that this thing's going to be seen hopefully by you know pretty you know pretty large group of people. Fingers crossed. God, God, it's um, not more, more sort of sad news attached to attached to your uh, your film, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. yeah. Gary and Kitty, yeah, it's very sad. Um, yeah, because I know Kitty was very excited about it. Um, I know she had a huge following, at, um, you know, among the Emmerdale uh, fan base because um, you know, her usually later character was the first um, sightless. It was the first uh, part written for a sightless actress in I think television history, actually. Um, and you know, Kitty was amazing and. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun to work with. So yeah, I'm, I'm proud that she's um, you know she's in the unfolding and she you know lent her wonderful talents to the to the project. Forgive forgive my poor memory. So did did unfolding play at Fright Fest this year like in August then? It did yeah. It played on the Discovery screen uh, three I think on the okay. 28th of August. I remember it vividly because yeah, I was having uh, kittens. Yeah. <laughs> so how, was, just, uh, just 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 cast your mind back then. Well, just just finally. What what was it like then to what to see? Because obviously you, in that instance you get to watch the watch the film with with the audience. So how how was that experience for you? Yeah, that that was amazing. I mean, we 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 we've actually got a 5.1 a digital cinema package. Um, we you know we went to you know great great lengths to create a 5.1 mix. So um, yeah, it was. Uh, I think uh, quite a few people described it as uh, hair raising. Uh, I know that Howard Bargroff, who was one of the, um, the wonderful sound team we had, you know, he's, he's a name in himself. He was holding onto the chair in front of him, uh, even though he worked on it, he was freaked out. So that was a fairly good sign, I think. But um, we, we we had another screening in the uh, wonderful auditorium at Fantasporto. Um, in Porto, Portugal, the, uh, the unfolding was in competition in the um, International Fantasy Film Awards, and um, yeah, we had an amazing um, uh, reaction there. Uh, a really, really um, sort of sensitive in all the right ways crowd. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been wonderful both at Fright Fest and Fantas Porto. We're hoping to see it play in a few other places. Uh, we know it's being looked at by a few other uh, genre festivals, so um, yeah, hopefully it will go a little bit further. Well, good, good luck with that. So, um, well, Thanks, can- yeah. Congratulations from Britflix for getting the film made and out there. It's uh, it's definitely a chiller, and uh, yeah, I, think, <laughs> I, I feel I feel like I'm a bit gutted I didn't get to see it on the big screen. If I'm honest, because I do, I think yeah, the, the sound design would have would have took me head off in a in a in a bigger environment with a bigger system to uh, to. Uh, it's um, definitely uh, yeah, it's a pretty yeah, it's an audio sort in stereo, but um, in five point one with it at the right fader level uh, with a properly balanced auditorium, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's pretty full on. It's uh, uh, but there, there might be yeah, there might be some more chances. Um, and I'm going to speak to some of the people we missed, um, you know, last year because we, we we arrived so late and see if we can get it, um, you know, get into a couple more, um, at least you know a couple more UK screenings. Um, I'm sure Icon and Fright Fest will be uh, quite happy to let that happen. So um, yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. And well, what fingers we'll, crossed, fingers crossed. You'll be, you'll be well, the first to know. 
Indeed, thank you. So, well, thank you very much for your time, for uh, coming on the podcast. It's much appreciated. Thank you very much, Stuart. Much appreciated. I've really enjoyed it, actually. It was, it was great talking to you, and uh, thanks for, thanks for um, you know, reviewing it and um, uh, talking about it. It's, been, it's, it's been, a, uh, been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.